Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, the founder of Influencer Marketing and Branded Content Agency, Hollywood Branded. This podcast provides brand marketers a learning platform for top experts to share their insights and knowledge on topics which make a direct impact on your business today. While it is impossible to be well-versed on every topic and strategy that can improve bottom line results, my goal is to help you avoid making costly mistakes of time, energy, or money, whether you are doing a DIY approach or hiring an expert to help. Let's begin today's discussion. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacy Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacy Jones. I'm so happy to be here with you all today, and I want to give a very warm welcome to our guest, an award-winning creative who's worked with some of the top brands in the world, Adrian Bellina. Adrian is both executive creative director and one of the founding partners of Jam3, a design and experience agency that partners with forward-thinking brands from around the world. He was integral in expanding the company from a three-person studio into one of the world's top digital companies with over 75 employees across three offices around the world. Adrian has been recognized several times at Khan, The One Show, DNAD, The Webbies, and is in the FWA Hall of Fame. His creative and leadership can be found in projects for Adidas, MTV, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Spotify, Disney, and that's just naming a few. Today, we're going to talk about how Adrian stays on the top of the cutting edge of digital marketing. We'll learn what's worked from his experience, what could be avoided, and how some agencies are missing the mark today. Adrian, welcome. Uh, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Well, I'm super happy to have you here. And you do something that's very different from our agency, although you leverage influencers in some of the campaigns that I've seen. So mm-hmm. we'd love to deep dive and talk a little bit more about, you know, the agency itself, the campaigns you're working on, and how you think people could be doing things better. And I'd love to start off with your sharing a little bit about your background and what got you to where you are today. For sure. Happy to talk about that. Um, my background uh, stems from advertising. I took advertising uh, in uh, at a college called Sheridan College outside of Toronto. And, uh, and then I took a, another postgrad after that called Interactive Multimedia. And uh, it's sort of an important time because that's where I actually met my two partners, uh, Mark and Pablo. And, uh, and so our program initially was, uh, that second program was initially geared towards uh, web development. And uh, I was coming in with a creative background. So at the time, this was maybe 2000, 2002 or 2003. Um, you know, I had gone in there with the idea of as a creative who wanted to kind of like add this level of technical expertise or technical knowledge um, and bolster that up so I could be this like, you know, what I, what I like to think of as like the perfect ideal candidate for a job, um, you know, somebody who could design and develop something. Um, and similarly, that's what my partners were thinking as well. And, uh, you know, what's interesting about that is that, you know, we started Jam 3 shortly after that. Um, and, our focus was, you know, always on this merger of design and development, um, which later kind of became to be more so focused on like, let's say creative technology. So focusing on how creative you could push the limits of technology. Um, initially, this was online. And then, you know, online now has transformed into, you know, the bigger world of, of digital, which encompasses pretty much everything. Right, so online platforms, it's, it's the retail experience, it's what you can do um, at an event, um, and so forth, right, so. 
Yes, it used to be that it was just about mobile and then it expanded into online and everyone jumped in and now it's kind of emerging of everything that is not traditional advertising is where you end up with thing. Yeah. So when we first were talking before our podcast started, you had said you wanted to touch on and deep dive in a little bit more on how people use technology wrong or how they approach it incorrectly. Can you share a little bit more insight on what you meant by that? For sure. I think the most common way uh, when you think about marketing and advertising and the use of technology um, is that, you know, the common complaint is that it can be used uh, in a very gimmicky way. And, uh, and we see this. And I think, you know, the attraction sure is there. Everybody wants to do something fun. They see a new shiny object and they want to, you know, also test out their ideas with this new shiny object. And sometimes the you know, I think the brand story uh, gets lost or what the actual problem is that we're trying to solve. Um, and we're basically just trying too hard to, uh, to focus on the technology itself rather than the point of what we're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And you were talking earlier, some of the technologies out there that you hear this about like AR, augmented reality, anything that goes into that type of space. How do you think people use it well? And how do you think people really aren't quite there yet? Yeah, I mean, so I think the easiest case example and the one that probably everybody's already, you know, familiar, who's familiar with augmented reality might think in their head is, is like the Ikea app, right? So taking furniture or a product and being able to translate that product and envision it in your living room. And that's a great case example. Another one is just as something as simple as like, the measuring tool, right? So all of that encompasses augmented reality. Um, but when you think about misuse of it, uh, you know, I think there may be a cool thing, for example, uh, geez, I don't want to, I don't like to criticize, but, uh, you know, if I could make something up, it would be, let's say, um, doing a, uh, let's say like a Snapchat mask um, for a brand that really doesn't have affinity. Right. So regardless of how cool the mask is, um, if it's for, for example, let's say like a toilet paper brand, um, you know, no matter how cool it is, people aren't going to want to do that. Or you're probably going to have a lower sense of engagement there. Um, So I think the most important thing there is really when you think about technology like augmented reality or virtual reality, machine learning, artificial intelligence, all the things that we hear about right now um, that are top of mind. um, It's not just about exploring the technology. Um, it's really always trying to find out, you know, what is this going to do and how can this actually solve a problem for us, right? And so it's really almost saying, is it on brand for the company as well, for where their life stage is right now or for their consumer base as well as their category? 100%, 100%. And um, I think one of the things that, you know, one of the, the ways that I look at the use of technology, um, where it does really, really well in, in um uh, where it does really well for us is to either, as I mentioned this, to solve a problem that couldn't be solved before. So you're basically solving something in a new way or uh, to create higher levels of engagement, right? So I think, you know, typically speaking, a lot of the marketing companies will go for the higher levels of engagement. That's the easy win. Um, and digital is a very interesting thing because I find that, uh, I find that, to be successful in digital, there's this element of, I haven't seen or done that before, right? Mm -hmm. So it's an initial, it's that initial hook that basically people kind of know that they can use this or rely on it. It's like a, uh, 
it's it's a uh, what's the expression but uh it's something to rely on where you know that you can basically let's say we're at an event and if i have a bunch of vr headsets out and people haven't done vr yet i mean uh, although you know they've probably done it by now today but this is why you saw so much of it out the gate um was there was an initial way that people want to try it and they haven't tr tried or experimented with the technology so it didn't kind of matter who the brand was, they're just like, they're doing it because they want to try the technology. And then what you do with it inside though, then has to, you know, obviously relate back to the brand. But the, the challenging thing here is, is that it's almost like, a, I don't know, it's almost like a, somebody chasing a, a certain high where it's basically like, okay, now I've tried it. And now the second time you do it, you're less, you're not as engaged as the first time you were. So now what do we have to do now? Right. And so if you look at anything from like, you know, uh, let's just even say, you know, experiences that might use virtual reality. So um, a couple of years ago, it was enough to just have the headset. And then we started moving around spatially. And now when you think about like uh, an experience as like, uh, you know, where you actually have a whole room set up and the person's walking around the whole space, they've got a backpack on them. It's a whole complete whole experience. Um, you know, there's always this level of one-upmanship that has to happen within digital. And I'm not sure that you get that with the other mediums, right? With, um, with print and broadcast, radio, et cetera, right? But not like the, that, that happens in digital quite often, right? Year by but, year. Well, it's also, it's making digital be more experiential, I think, yes. versus just being, you know, when you say digital advertising, it's very different what you're talking about. And it's also, I think, targeted typically at a younger demographic versus an older demographic as far as you know you're like oh by now everyone's tried a you know virtual reality headset i guarantee there's a lot of 50 plus year olds out there that unless their kids brought it home they haven't tried it 100 percent, 100 percent, and and we see that as well i think yeah you know we use a lot of creative technology in the experience space and that's generally what we're focused on so you know our markets and clients tend to skew a little bit younger so we work a lot with adidas um, for example, who's obviously much, much considerably younger. Um, but, you know, I like to think about it in, you know, the holy grail is always, can you entertain, but also solve a problem? So give some sense of utility. I think that's, you know, that's the sweet spot today for brands, in my opinion, is, you know, it's, it's obviously you can entertain, you can be visually stimulating. Um, but I think when you get that real sort of brand affinity, or when you get real something that to get something to really matter, it's when you have some sort of uh, usefulness or, you know, the experience has a purpose, right? Okay. What are some of the campaigns you've worked on that you think have melded the perfect world of experiential, most likely, since that's really what you dive into, and digital and technology? For sure. Um, so I think uh, one of my favorite case studies from, uh, from this past, uh, just this past year, um, was for Adidas, and uh, it was during their uh, during an event called ComplexCon. ComplexCon is a two-day event in Long Beach every year. It is a massive event that features um, all kinds of uh, streetwear and uh, sneaker stuff. And so, you know, it has uh, there's musicians that play there, there's artists that are there, um, and then you know it's similar to like any convention floor, you know, there's a lot of obviously booths and brands that are there and everybody's basically checking out, you know, it's like the coolest of the cool. Um, a lot of people use it to launch new products and, uh, you know, drum up a lot of hype. And so if you're familiar, you know, if you've ever seen uh, a store 
um, with a whole bunch of kids waiting outside out, out in a line for it outside of like a like a footlocker or Supreme or something along those lines. That's basically the market that goes to Complex, uh, or sorry, that goes to ConflexCon. Um, and so Adidas's tactic this year, this was their third year running, um, and we had this whole idea of avoiding lines, right? So, you know, lines are integral to this culture. They basically, people will, you know, there will be a sneaker release, um, and to get this limited quantity speak, uh, sorry, to get this limited quantity sneaker, um, you know, you'll have people camping out overnight, sometimes multiple days. Um, and so even at the complex con event, they had people waiting in line to be the first in line to the event because they know what shoes are dropping there. They know where they're going to be kind of, they have an estimate of what they'll be valued at or what the resale value will. And, you know, for example, they may be able to buy a shoe for $200 and then resell it the same day for 1500. Um, it's, it's quite an interesting, uh, industry now that we're kind of, uh, wrapped up into it. Um, but so one of the things we want to do is kind of take take out the power from the resellers um, who kind of dominate the game. And we want to make it a little bit more democratic so that everybody has the same fair chance. It's not about waiting in lines, right? Um, and, you know, really waiting in line is kind of like a negative brand experience, right? So, you know, for example, you might sit there and wait outside of an Adidas uh, booth for four hours. By the time you finally get there, you don't get the shoe that you wanted. Now you're going to be pissed off, right? Um, so instead we regulated it. And so we created a, a, a basically like a conference wide experience. We ditched the booth altogether. Um, and instead we had these five giant cubes um, that were hanging from the rafters spread out across the convention center. And, um, and what you would do is you would scan the cube uh, to basically unlock a sneaker. And so we did this uh, by creating a custom app that went and fit in right into ComplexCon's actual app. So people wouldn't have to actually download um, uh, a separate app, right? They were using the same app that they already had to get into the event. So obviously, cause that's a, you know, a barrier for engagement. Mm -hmm. um, so we solved that problem. They already had all the apps. On the hour we were dropping sneakers. So for two days, every hour we dropped a limited pair of, uh, of sneakers. Sometimes it could have been uh, one pair of shoes. Uh, sometimes it may have been 250. So, uh, but people wouldn't know what was dropping and how many there would be. Um, and so it was, it was wonderful, right? So you had these five cubes there, there was nobody standing around them. And then about 10 minutes, uh, 10 minutes close to the hour, you'd start seeing people kind of like petering, petering in by the time it was like, you know, one minute uh, to go. Uh, there was like a big crowd and it was the calmest crowd you'd ever seen. There was no pushing, uh, there's no shoving. Nobody's trying to get ahead of each other. As long as I have a view, it's fine. And, you know, we elevated these things up high so that everybody has the same view, right? So it doesn't really matter who gets there first. Um, and every time we did a drop, it would be done in about a minute and a half. So instead of people waiting four hours, they were now waiting a minute and a half. And anybody could have a shot at this, you know? I mean, it was so wonderful to see this, like, little 15-year-old kid um, win one of these limited pair of shoes that they normally could never get. Like the look of joy in this kid's eyes was amazing. Um, and so the augmented reality part of this was, uh, was sits within the box. So when you scan the box um, or the cube, um, the cube would actually open up and it would reveal a sneaker inside in augmented reality, right? Not, not in real life. Okay. Um, and so that was the access, uh, that was like the access point. It worked basically like a contact, sorry, like a, a similar 
similar to how you would get concerts, uh, concert tickets, right? Everybody's trying to get it at the same time. You're trying to get through, you're trying to get through. And then, you know, those lucky few that get in, get in, and then it says sold out, right? And so we'd sell out in about a minute and a half um, every hour on the hour. And, uh, and the other interesting part that we did here, um, not related to augmented reality, but r related to how you can fit or use emerging technology to solve another problem, um, we ditched uh, the lines another time. So instead of basically, you know, having all these people now have to go through fulfillment and wait in a line for like two people to sit there, give them their, you know, give them their shoes, wait for it to come back. Um, we actually used 500 smart lockers. So these are the same type of lockers you might see for like Amazon pickups and you know, at Whole Foods or wherever it is now. Yep. Precisely. So we actually did a custom wrapping around these lockers. Um, so they were Adidas branded and each locker would uh, have a pair of shoes in it. And so uh, we knew that when somebody was buying a size nine in this pair of shoe um, and they won it, they would have to go to locker number 254. And so it would tell them, okay, now just proceed to locker 254 by the entranceway at any point in time and at any point in time today. So they, you know, they could go at their own, at their own leisure. And uh, they would just go walk up to it. They'd hit a button on their app. The door would automatically open. They'd grab their shoes and, and walk away. It was pretty awesome. The whole thing was literally so, so, so seamless. And, you know, for us, it was a matter of returning the conference um, back to them, right? So it's like, you know, hey, like our gift to you is, is time, you know, and go spend your time. And if you want, wait in somebody else's line or go see the artists that you wanted, et cetera, right? Right. That's very cool. Yeah. And so when you started working on this project, and obviously you've worked with Adidas a, a few times, um, they're an ongoing client for you. Did they come to you with the idea at all? Or did they come and say, hey, we're going to be at this convention. It's filled with sneakerheads. What can you do? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we have a good relationship with our client. And so a lot of conversations always, uh, you know, start in various ways. Um, that one in particular was this kind of idea where it was and the initial conversation or question put to us was, you know, like, you know, like uh, that, you know, it was in reference to like Pokemon Go. So I think Pokemon Go had been very popular um, and that had brought augmented reality up to the forefront for a lot of brands. That was sort of like the question du jour for us. You know, we'd constantly get these, you know, we'd love to create something that's a little bit more like, you know, like this is what the kids want. You know, I'm obviously making like poking fun there. That's not what our client sounds like. No, uh, no, no. I will first tell you that my entire team for a good solid, at least six months <laughs> laughed at me because my husband and I did Pokemon all over the cities. We would go, I'd be on a business trip in New York or Chicago or anywhere. And I'd start hiking around doing it because I was fascinated with the potential of how brands could use it. Yeah. So it makes sense. I mean, Pokemon opened the door for all of us, I think in a really big way as marketers. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you always look at, there's one sort, like there's always like a tipping point and then it becomes like a buzz, uh, a buzzword, right? And then everybody yeah. starts asking for it and experimenting with it, which I think is an interesting thing. So, you know, I often, uh, Often, whenever I'm making a point about something, I often, you know, like circle back and start questioning my own argument and being like, well, you know, like, you know, and I start to rationalize certain behaviors. And I think the one benefit of um, the one outcome of, let's say, sometimes like the more gimmicky work, I would say, is that you learn from it. Right. And I think the at least the important thing here is that people are people are trying. Um, and so I'd rather them, you know, you know, I'd rather them try. But I think, you know, because from trying things, you learn things. Right. And the important thing is not to get 
afraid of doing those things again, because, you know, this is one of the things that we also see is that people will one and done things. Oh, you know, we did this thing. And then they're kind of like, well, you know, what? well, we already did that. So now, you know, we're moving on to the next thing instead of applying the learnings that they had from that to make it even better. So you're always starting, you know, what, you know, this is a common mistake that I always, uh, that I also, that, uh, that, uh, that I often see is that we're not applying our learnings, right? So we're always starting from scratch in chase of the big idea, right? Rather than actually sitting there thinking about, okay, great. So here's, this worked. And, you know, we were, let's, for example, let's say we were reasonably successful, right? Now, for me, my interest is always like, okay, great. Now that we know what we know now afterwards, because we did this thing that had never been done before, um, let's apply that knowledge and redo it again, right? Um, I think that's like the, the most interesting thing, right? Is to basically get known for something um, and start to almost like productize something. So sort of almost like productize a way that you engage with uh, your consumer, right? Or your audience. And you all have somewhat done as well with the technology angle that you bring in to your campaigns to a degree. To a degree, yeah, to a degree. I mean, it's something, you know, uh, I wish we could do even better. You know, um, I, we're always trying to, you know, trying to tell our clients to revisit certain things, but, um, you know, I think, I think that's the, you know, that's the goal that they need to keep trending in though. Right. Um, is really, really thinking about, okay, well, how can we take something and resist, resist the urge to do something, let's say completely new, um, and focus on redoing something, but with a new lens. Right. And just figuring out, okay, well, we did that last year. If we, you know, I think the worry is that if we do the same thing again, um, will people be less engaged because they're like, you know, to my point earlier, I already saw this, right? right. Um, to my, my point there, or my, my argument to that would be that I think that's fine if people have a, a level set of expectation because that can be a plus as well. So if somebody's expecting something, now you've already cut out the initial, let's say like onboarding. Right. So it takes a while for somebody to get used to using something. Right. So, for example, even if you think about a simple mobile website, you know, a hamburger icon in the, in the top corner that means menu was not, you know, that wasn't. Uh, um, uh, it wasn't a natural go to that everyone would just in intuitively know. And now they do. Right. So, you know, it's supposed to be a simple example. Um, so I think you can always build on that. Right. So because whenever you do something, for example, the complex con, you know, we had to guide people through the process of doing this, although it was pretty simple, but like, you know, so if you did it a second time, they'd be like, okay, cool. I know what to expect here. But then, you know, strategically what we would focus is focus on is, okay, now how do we switch it on? Them? You know, because I think expectations can be really fun to play with. Right. Cause I think, that's when I, you know, whenever I see this, I always talk about this. This is the, uh, the un like when you, when you do something with the expected, that's unexpected. Um, you always get this like, kind of like, you know, people are kind of like, you know, they get that, like that smile on the head nod, like, Oh, that was smart. I like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's funny that I've always uh, noticed that when, uh, if I've ever, if you've ever judged an award show, um, you're watching like 300 case studies and you'll see that, you know, they're, they're all very similar. But, you know, every once in a while, the ones that win always have this kind of like, you can see around the room, the judges just kind of have this like head nod and they'll be like, that was smart. And you, you could just see in the head, in their head that that was like, oh, I wish I would have thought of that. That was good. Yeah, I like yeah. that point. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I call it the plot twist basically. But, yeah. Or the secret sauce. It's just a little something extra special. Yeah. Yeah. 
So next time you're going to have fireworks bursting out along with those shoes as they're opening the lockers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So do you also think on an activation like what you just described with ComplexCon, that it was able to be really well executed with potentially less people on staff at the site so that it made it easier in general? Or were there the same amount of people that would have to be involved in an event activation, but just behind the scenes instead of glad handling in front of the scenes and dealing with people? Because you've really automated everything where it's, it, it's faceless. Yeah. Um, so we did have, so, you know, old habits die hard and, you know, you always want to make sure that, you know, I think everybody always has a backup plan. So we did have, we did have some brand ambassadors there um, that, you know, we would stand under the booth when it was happening, sorry, under the booth, under the cubes when it was happening. Um, and really it was more just to kind of have like a watchful eye and make sure that something wasn't going on. So they weren't necessary um, per se. Um, had we done it a second time, I probably would have said that we wouldn't need them. Um, the only real thing that we had uh, that we maybe like learned from that was people wanted to know that things were sold out, right? So, um, you know, it, the app would kind of tell them, but sometimes they, they weren't sure if they were just kind of like waiting still or whatever. And then, you know, we'd kind of just kind of tell everybody we had mic pieces on. And so somebody in the back end sitting in the back, like in the back room would be like, all right, they're all sold out. They're all like, you know, cube number two is sold out. Cube number five is sold out. And so we'd say, somebody would be like, it's sold out. And everybody would be like, okay, cool. And they'd all just kind of like casually kind of like walk away or whatever. Right. right. Um, so I think the system was completely designed to be fully autonomous. Mm -hmm. um, we had some backup measures there just, just cause you never know and you want things to run smoothly. Um, but, you know, had we wanted to do the event again and had we wanted to, like, extend it multiple days, yeah, 100% it could be autonomous. The only thing that would, you would need to have is somebody running the back end and obviously filling the lockers and making sure that, you know, those are full. And y'all did another activation with Adidas that stood out with Coachella, which is a super overly saturated branding mega platform that everyone wants to have a little piece of. How did y'all differentiate there? Yeah, so I think the most fascinating thing here was like, you know, so this one definitely, you know, up front, it sounds like gimmick. Um, but I think because it has never been done before, uh, you know, we, we were able to break through clutter based on a clever use of technology. And so I think, you know, you know, for the last 10 years, we've been, you know, always finding out a way. Uh, how something can be done, right? So, you know, the, the idea will either come from us in, in a pitch presentation or, you know, sometimes with our clients, they may just call us about something and be like, has this ever been done before? We were just sitting here having a conversation. And this is one of those moments where, you know, um, this conversation happened over brunch and a text message. And somebody was just like, we're just sitting here over, over uh, you know, over brunch and we're wondering, uh, can, you, can we airdrop people things? And then, you know, for us, we're like, you know, we start, we immediately start chatting about this and we're just like, here, drop something in, you know, like, so we start talking to our tech team and then figuring out the nuts and bolts mm -hmm. of how an experience like that could, could happen. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was, honestly, it's, it's a pretty simple experience when you think about it, right? It's just basically, uh, we had a bunch of people there at Coachella. Um, oh, I should give some background to the project. Uh, I realized I just hadn't, uh done that for the listeners um so yeah so we were at coachella um and the shoe drop was for uh to be the first people to get 
Donald Glover and Adidas's uh, collaboration shoe. So there were uh, three different shoes, different types of shoes. They were unreleased and unseen. Um, so nobody even knew what they looked like. They were going to be launching first weekend of Coachella. And uh, so there was actually a, uh, there was a, a press embargo on this. We weren't allowed to, um, you know, do any press on this. So we had to figure out a clever way to, you know, release a few sneakers without, you know, without, you know, uh, doing anything really officially. Um, the teams were, of course, everybody was, uh, you know, fully into doing this idea because it was a simple execution, small release, and I uh, thought it would drum up a lot of buzz. And so, uh, sure enough, it did. So what we did was on the day that uh, Childish Gambino was headlining at Coachella, and we released his shoes so that people could have the shoes and attend his concert wearing his shoes. Um, so the way that we did this was we actually had a bunch of people. Um, it was actually our, our staff who were going, walking around the campgrounds of Coachella um, with their phones renamed to Donald Glover um, with a bunch of images in their phone that were free, like, you know, clips of the sneaker. And, uh, and you know, all the user would see was like their phone would get randomly pinged and it would say, uh, you know, Donald Glover would like to send you an image. And, uh, and you're kind of like, most people are like, what? You know, you're kind of curious because what makes it so successful is that, um, you know, this is a behavior that generally has like almost like a negative association with it. Right. So this is something that you see people being, uh, you know, scammed scammed or pranks, right? Right. So like some crappy flyer, uh, an image you don't want to see a joke or a meme, you know, we were at Disneyland with our staff having like an office day, a little retreat. And, uh, and one of my, one of our uh, producers phones kept getting, uh, these like random memes sent to it by like, you know, probably what would have been some giggling teenagers. Um, So we kind of flipped that behavior, almost knowing that some people in the beginning will be like, I don't know what the hell this is. Deny. I don't want it. Um, And then there were those who were brave enough to be kind of like, "Mm, I'm curious, like I'm a big fan of Donald Glover. Um, And so they took the shoes and then uh, you know what they, what they weren't able to see. And this is again, just kind of like a, like a clever craft detail, but uh, the preview image that you get when you see that airdrop on your Apple um, is a cropped version of an image. And so we basically looked at that and then knew where the crop marks were basically going to be or how the image was going to be cropped. And so on the outside of the image that you can't see is where it says, hey, to come pick up a free pair of shoes and the number associated with the winning ticket. So this way it didn't allow people to like, if somebody accepted, they'd be the only one to have that, let's call code. it. Like, yeah. It's like a code. It's a redemption code. Yeah. Yeah. Because we have to think about all these different ways of, you know, um, and we have this process internally, which is basically like what we call a pre-mortem. So it's basically, uh, you know, like uh, thinking about every and every which way a project can go wrong. Mm-hmm. So, and then think about what, how we would solve it. Right. So everything from Coachella ranged from, um, people aren't accepting. Too many people are accepting. We have a mob of people that all came at once and now we don't know what to do. It rained. Um, something, something, something. You could imagine. Right. You know. um, and so we had a, a process and a plan for each one of those. Um, but it went off like gangbusters. Uh, it was an amazing project. So like the first, the first person that won uh, posted about it. He was just like, we saw him posting and we're like, hey, would you mind, you know, could you tag, you know, 
maybe like, you know, tag like a couple people. Uh, and <laughs> I mean, he was a sneaker guy. So he's just like, yeah, I'll, I think he tagged hype beast or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that just kind of blew up. And so there was like a, you, you know, we tracked it down. We, uh, to like, there's like a succession of like three different posts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was this kid who wasn't an influencer. He's just a, a regular person, um, but tagged an influencer basically. Mm-hmm. And that influencer's post blew up. Um, resulting in this kid's post blowing up and then everything kind of just went like bananas from there um, and the art, like without doing any press outreach um, it got picked up in like GQ, Vogue, Adweek, I mean you name it if you can think about it it was it was written about there um, and all the headlines were great because it was like is Donald Glover uh, airdropping his shoes to people and so it's a really funny thing that people some people legitimately thought that Donald Glover, Donald Glover they did. Yes. is like sneakingly doing this because he's an artist. He's a bit of a quirky guy. So right. it's almost like it plays in this realm of believability that he might actually be doing this as like a, you know, like this world where, you know, um, I think my executive producer explains it really wonderfully because they follow these people so closely. They feel a connection to these people yeah. that they don't know celebrities. Um, and so it's, you know, in their minds, they think that this person may actually be doing this, right? So, no, from our own work, we do celebrity endorsement deals all the time. I mean, that's the core of what our agency does in product placement, influencers. And people don't even realize that, you know, celebrities don't write their own tweets, they don't do any social posts, they do nothing. But the general norm is everyone thinks that the celebrity's vastly involved. Jennifer Aniston's absolutely saying this or whomever it might be. So that's an easy one. That's yeah. great. Or Jennifer Aniston liked my tweet and you're like, well, yes. You know, yes. Her social media manager probably did, but you know, same thing. Yeah. yeah. It's the same, you know, they're besties. She knows everything. So those are two really cool case studies. And obviously Adidas was happy, but I'm sure your agency was over the moon with the amount of press and exposure that y'all got from this as well. Over the moon, over the moon. I mean, yeah. it's, it's always good to get press cause it's, you know, it, it feels validating. Um, I think, you know, when you're doing, let's call them like things in the more experiential space, um, which can be hard to measure um, in terms of impact sometimes. Um, I think it's it's really great to see that kind of stuff when you're doing things uh, more situated in let's say like uh, design and like platform builds like for dot coms. Um, you know, there's something to be said about uh, winning awards, which are always great, but there's also something to be said about um, seeing the actual metrics and having an effect on them. I think it's it's an interesting thing that I've noticed. Uh, you notice this in a in in the typical person's career path where, you know, as a junior, all you want to do is, you know, get to work on the good work, right? You want to work on like, oh, I want to be trusted with this like greater work and you're clawing your way up to get this greater work. As you start getting more experienced, you start to do this greater work. Um, and then you start to like, be like, want to be recognized for it. I want to win an award. I want to win something I can or one show or something like that. Um, and then at a certain point, you also realize, well, you know what, that these, not, they're not empty awards, but you know, that it's, they can leave you with this, 
longing for more where it's just like, you know, it's great that uh, I've been recognized by my peers, but does this actually work as well? Does the suggestions that I'm making, has it made a difference? And I think once you start looking, you know, looking and, you know, really getting into like analytics and data, you really like, I don't know, there's this sense of satisfaction where, you know, you're like, oh, the, the suggestions that I've made have actually, you know, like, you know, you look at a bar graph and you see the thing trending upward and you're like, huh, look at me. Aren't, you know, aren't, aren't I so smart? Yeah. Well, in agencies, you know, as partners to brands, the brand is supposed to get the accolades. The brand is supposed to be in the spotlight. And usually our agency life is we're in the background and we're like, high five, the whole thing didn't blow up. Woohoo! Yeah. Right. And you're happy about everything else and you're picking apart what you can do better. But there's not always a lot of celebrating the wins because it's more on the brand side and you're yeah. off to your new project. Off to your project. Yeah. 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 I'm happy, uh, you know, like, like I said, for us, uh, you know, it's, it's important to have good relationships. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, there's so many things that uh, matter in terms of, uh, let's call it like health and happiness of like, uh, of the workplace, right? So, you know, it's not just you know, it's not just an award or just a brand. Um, it's it's a whole bunch of things. You know, how close of a relationship are you your brand? Uh, how close of a relationship you have with the brand? How much they trust you? How much you trust them? Your rapport? Because um, there's you know you 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 know this is a tough industry. It it demands a lot of hours. Um, it's uh, it's definitely has its like ups and downs and peaks and valleys in terms of how hard uh, how hard you have to work sometimes. And, uh, you know, so you start looking at those things as, as to like, well, what makes it worth it for us? Right? What, what, what are we truly looking for here? Um, and, you know, you start to think about, well, what makes, you know, what are the things that matter to, uh, to us individually, right? So. That's all very true. So for our listeners who want to learn a little bit more about what you could potentially do for their companies, you want to share some contact information. All this will be in the show notes also, but just who y'all are, how to get a hold of you, all that good stuff. For sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, as Stacy mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, our company is called Jam3. We are a design and experience agency. Um, so we do everything from, uh, you know, large scale website design all the way down to uh, installations for events um, and everything in between. If it's digital, we do it. Um, you know, we have a high, uh, a high passion for merging creative technology into our, uh, into, uh, our various outputs, um, to basically find new ways of solving problems or creating higher levels of engagement. So if you want to see more of our work, uh, definitely head up jam3.com. Um, and, uh, yeah, we hope to hear from you. So that's easy enough. Perfect. And again, that will be in the show notes. So anyone can, who is not writing as they're walking, driving, running, working, you can just pop on over to our podcast page and see that. And then any last parting words of advice, avoiding technology, embracing technology, doing it better, avoiding doing mistakes. What would you tell our listeners? Uh, be experimenting with technology. So, I mean, keep, keep at it. The best way that we create things is by exploring. Right. And so I think the, you know, a common mistake that people make is, uh, you know, they do one thing once and then they don't do it again, but it's through the repetition of doing something with a medium or technology or a certain type of output, um, where you truly build that experience and start of 
you know, can kind of start building a way to make things matter and really make a difference. Perfect. Well, on that note, Adrian, thank you so much for joining and sharing your insights and your awesome case studies because it doesn't get much more awesome than that. So thank you. And yes. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to marketing mistakes and how to avoid them. I look forward to chatting with you on our next podcast.